Now back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by James Gaddis Jewelers. Genuine diamonds, baby. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Welcome back, everyone. 803 The Time on this Wednesday, January 10th, 2024. Greg Gaston, Eli Savoy, Zach Boyd with you from the Family Leisure Studios. Family Leisure, their floor model sale continues at 2120 Witten Road, just north of I-40. And the second hour of the program is brought to you by our friends at James Gaddis Jewelers, 4900 Poplar between Mendenhall and St. Nick, on the web at gaddisjewelers.com. Currently sunny and 31 degrees. We're looking at a high of 48 today. Mostly clear tonight with a low of 35. Tigers in action tonight on the hardwood at FedEx Forum, taking on UTSA, and it's Wednesday. That means we get to talk to Coach Andy Borman. It's time to talk Memphis Tigers basketball. Joining Sports 56 Mornings is Tigers assistant coach Andy Borman. Now, here's Coach Borman with Greg and Eli. Coach Andy Borman joins us each and every Wednesday during the Tiger basketball season. You can follow him on Twitter at Andy underscore Borman. Hey, Coach. Good morning. Good morning. Do you? It's game day. Obviously, you got a, another big conference game tonight. Do you like coaching? And obviously, you're not the head coach, but do you like coaching practices better than games or vice versa? I like games better. I mean, I, I, I know the right answer is, practices but i just love i i I just love the competition you know going out there and playing against someone else um maybe it's also this time of year you know because we've had a number of practices under our belt so maybe the right answer in the beginning of the year is practices but right now i i mean love them both yeah, well, the reason I bring the reason I bring that up about wins and losses. Well, no, man. yeah, but with coaches, they always talk about how they feel better about working with individuals and making those individuals better, and they love mm-hmm. rolling out mm-hmm. the ball for. I hear that all the time from coaches. That's why I ask that. But it's, but it's about getting the results of that work, right? Like the the, no the games are the test to see how you've done. Yeah, no, the, like I said, the the right answer, the the coaching professional answer is practice. My honest answer is the game. <laughs> exactly. I got you. I got you. All right. So um, two games, two last-second threes from Javon Quinterly, and you're 2-0 in the conference. Do you, by the way, still have your hair, or is it gray? <laughs> I'm wearing my official Javon Quinterly fan club T-shirt right now. <laughs> um, so, no, I, I have my hair thanks to him. And, uh, you know, we just find a way to win. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the positive way to look at it, and that's really the only way you should be looking at it. You you guys are what thirteen and two. You're two and zero in the conference. You're you got the is it thirteen two or eleven and two? Thirteen. Thirteen and two. Yeah. So you uh, continue to find ways to win, but man, by the skin, what is it? By the uh, hair of your chinny chin chin. I think's the old saying. You're 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 finding ways to win, but it's. Do you believe you guys play to the level of the competition? Or is it just teams I, are just fired up to play you? Both. Both. You know, I mean, I, I think they're both equally true. And I think that, uh, you know, obviously we want teams to be fired up to play us. That means we're doing something special here. Um, but at the same time, we do need to fix it. You know, I, I think I think it'd be foolish to say that, 
you know, we brought the same level of energy against some of the recent opponents that we did against Virginia and Clemson. Right. And I think that's human nature. But at the same time, it's got to be better. So in those situations now at the end of the game, when you are in these close games, is the idea you just, it really, you don't even have to talk about it. You just get into the huddle and say, we're going to get Quinterly the ball. He's going to go to the left wing and he's going to shoot a three. <laughs> um, I think, you know, having a chance to be in the huddle and, and see what Coach Hardaway drew up, um, I think what you see is the fact that these plays have multiple options and multiple reads, right? Because, you don't know what that team's going to do coming out, mm-hmm. you know. So seeing seeing Coach Hardaway, you know, at Tulsa, um, you know, our play, our end of play or end of game play had multiple options that could go on either side of the floor, um, and it just happened that Nick, you know, Javon gave it to Nick, and then Nick gave it right back to him for that dribble handoff three, um, and then the same thing. At the end of the SMU game, we had a couple different options, and the way they played it turned into one of the options, which was a Quinterly ISO, where he's deadly on that left wing. Mm-hmm. But if they would have played it differently, there were other reads there. It, it seems like it, it really, to me, it feels like every time I watch at any level of basketball now, it could be high school, it could be college, it could be NBA, end of clock situations, end of game, end of quarter, whatever, end of half, usually last second situation, it seems like it always ends up in a guy taking a step back three. Like, like kind of, it's like, that's the way, like all these plays, coaches draw up everything, but it always seems like that's what ends up happening because the guy takes like a step back jumper. Yeah, it does. And, and I, I think, uh, I think part of it is because, you know, I remember coach Hardaway saying it to our team last year. You know, the, the other team cannot risk fouling you. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they can't. You know, so you get a little bit of space. They will jump, and they'll go straight up and down, but you're going to get a clean look at the basket. Um, and I think, you know, these guys obviously practice the step-back jump shot, you know, repeatedly because, now, when I was younger, that wasn't really something you know you saw but these guys when they're younger they see dame lillard and steph curry doing it every day so they've been practicing practicing it since they were a teenager it's a good point yeah that's a really good point step back jumper and the the euro step are moves that that didn't exist like that long ago it wasn't that long ago they really didn't exist and now it's all you see guys doing but young players they emulate what what they see right and if that's the the fashionable thing no matter where basketball is played if they see it, they'll want to repeat it and, and replicate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I remember, I mean, this is going to age me, but when, when I was in college, the Eurostep had kind of just started and they were doing it in the NBA. And so we started doing it in college and they'd call it travel every time. <laughs> exactly. And it, it, it was so frustrating. Because the officials <laughs> had no idea so what you were doing. Officials are like, what the yeah, hell is like this guy doing? That's not a travel. <laughs> you know, that's not a travel. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's become part of the game. Okay, let me – let's go back to the, the SMU game. Not not the game winner, but either the 
offensive possession that you guys had, either the one possession before or maybe the possession before that. I'm trying to remember. Uh, I know Jones shot a three that got blocked. And then Quinterly shot a quick three from the other side. That came after a timeout. So you guys have the timeout. You draw up something. Quinterly comes down and fairly early in the shot clock takes a three from basically where your bench was, not the other side where he hit the three. Obviously, that could not have been the call. So like, what was said in, in the huddle there where it comes out and it was basically a quick three? I didn't, I, I didn't understand that shot, and, and, and it could not have been the play call. I, I, honestly, I'd have to go back and watch it to, to, to be specific on what coach said, you okay. know, cause I'm, I'm, I'm drawing, I'm drawing a little bit Fair of a blank on that. Yeah, well, yeah, it was the last, it was the last offensive possession you had before the game winner by Quinterly and Quinterly took, okay. a, Quinterly took a three from the other side, but it was after a timeout. Like you guys crossed half court, called the timeout, talked what you talked about in the huddle came out he took a quick three on the other side i didn't understand i go that could not have been the play and then you ended up obviously winning with quinterly no big deal but that's that was yeah puzzling. You're, you're probably right i mean the, the one i'm i'm you know that's in the front of my mind that maybe i'm getting confused about is uh the quinterly missed three where then we got the offensive rebound and gave it back to him in the same exact location he had all day just to dial it up and knocked it down um, but I'm drawing a blank on the play you're talking about. Okay. I apologize. No big deal. The There's always a debate in end-of-game situations when teams are up by three. Do you foul? Do you not foul? What are the odds, the analytics? What do they tell you? Better chance to win all that stuff. You guys seem pretty committed that you're up by three. You're going to foul in those situations. Is And is that just kind of like understood now amongst the players because you don't always get a chance to get that timeout or whatever that hey we're up by three in that situation you get that opportunity we're fouling i think so i I, but i also think it's you know where's the ball and what's the personnel on the other team and who do we have on the floor because i do remember earlier in the year we were up three and we went into the huddle and, and, you know, Coach Hardaway's like, okay, you know, we're going to foul and put him on the line. And there was just a little bit of indecision, mm-hmm. you know, just amongst yep. the guys. And so Coach Hardaway's like, okay, absolutely not. <laughs> because you can't have a single person, you know, because if you foul at the wrong time, they could get three shots. Yep. And then, you know, since then, practice talking about it, film. And I think you've seen guys do a really, really good job of situationally fouling there. But I do agree. I do agree with you. I think it's kind of like you either do it or you don't. Um, and I think we've gotten better and more secure at it. Yeah, and, and you. So I was going to. I was going to ask. Do you like? Do you practice? That foul because yeah, you got to know it's got to be you can't, can't you, be in you the can't let them do it while they're shooting. Because they? right. that's something you like practice that situation of how you foul somebody in that situation. I mean, you can, but it's also you know more more than anything. You know, it's not about like practicing the act of fouling. More than anything, it's just about going through the different game situations. You know, and watching film with the guys. You know, and, and just kind of clearing it up, right? Mm-hmm. Like. It's obviously really, it's not impossible, but really hard to foul if it's side out of bounds because on that pass, they could go straight into the act of shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if they're going to put, if they're going to put it on the ground, 
yeah. and they're advancing the ball, that's the perfect time. You just want to make sure you don't do anything too aggressive where they look at it like as a flagrant or something like that. You got to, you know, so it's, 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 it's a take foul, and, and officials know what's happening there. But my God, if you yeah. hack the guy's arm off, you know, then all of a sudden uh, you're in deep trouble. All right. So the SMU game, once again, first half, we've talked about this ad nauseum with you yep. about the rebounding yep. issues, giving up the offensive boards. But then at halftime, I don't know what you guys said, what was said at halftime. You came out in the second half and did a much better job rebounding the basketball and not allowing SMU to get those second-chance opportunities and won the basketball game. Is is it simply effort? What is it that has put you in those holes rebounding-wise? Tonight you're going to go up against a team that's it's not a great basketball team, but it's a capable basketball team with a big front line. So what was it that was said that you guys came out in a different demeanor rebounding the ball in the second half of that SMU game? I just think Coach Hardaway was extremely honest with him. And by the way, not, 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 not that he wasn't honest before the game. Right. You know, because before the game, he gave the, you know, we always say we gave you the answers to the test. You know, he gave them the answers to the test. We knew that they were going to come in and they, they were going to play, you know, like Houston, you know, and, and just turn it into a street fight. Mm-hmm. And, I think our guys understood it, but I don't think they understood the level of it because we certainly weren't prepared. Um, and, and sometimes you just need to get punched in the mouth a couple times. It just seemed like we got punched in the mouth a bunch. <laughs> um, and then eventually you're either, you know, you're either going to get knocked out or you're going to get sick of getting punched in the mouth. Good point. And, you know, and, and we got sick of it. And what we have to do, you know, right, we've spoken about it, you know, is we got to find a way as a group, you know, maybe we need to beat them up before the game, <laughs> um, you know, but we need to find a way to bottle bottle that second half and, and, and do it on both sides, right? Do it, do it for 40 minutes instead of 20. What is the scouting report on UTSA? I mean, I think you guys said it in the beginning, right? Like, I, I think first and foremost, we we need to play to our standard, mm-hmm. right? And 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 not worry about rank, you know their ranking or any of that stuff. And then I think the second thing is they're coming in, and you know this is this is a Super Bowl game for them, you know. And so I think first and foremost be ready to play and be ready to fight. Um, but like you said, I mean, they, they've got, they've got some dynamic guards that can score the ball. They've got pretty balanced scoring, you know, and cause they're, it's not like they go to their bench and have nothing. They go to their bench and they have talent. Yeah. They got six guys and, who average and, nine or more. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know? And so it's not one of those things where it's like, okay, here's the one guy we hone in on, you know, which can be the case. You know, but no, they they got six. We need to we need to know that there are multiple people out there at all times that can hurt us. And then, like you said, they are big. You know, they they are big, but it's not just with us. It's not just the bigs that have, you know, out rebounded us. You know, we've got we've got guards from the other team going in there and getting six, seven, eight, nine of them. True. You know, so so we got to rebound as a unit. Well, you also, unfortunately, lose Caleb Mills. And and Caleb mm-hmm. went under the knife yesterday. And again, if he's listening by any chance, we wish him well. But that's a arguably your best perimeter defender. That's a big loss for you guys. So 
in his in his absence, are there other guys going to be called upon that haven't played a lot, or is it just going to be that the guys that are in the rotation are going to get more minutes, like the Jalen Youngs of the world? I think you're looking at both. I think you're looking at both, and and I think to be honest with you, our guys that have gotten a majority of the minutes need to play better so that our guys that haven't, you know, you have a little more freedom to play them. Mm-hmm. You, you, you have a little more freedom to, to leave them out there. You know, it, it's hard It's hard to do that when it's a one-possession game. Right. Um, you know, but I think it's both, and I think our guys are ready. You know, and, and I think the guys, you know, that the want more, you know, I think they're excited for that opportunity, and they got to make the most of it. All right, tonight it's UTSA, and then you hit the road for Wichita, and it's going to be like minus eighty or something. I'm kidding, but it's going to be really cold. So I hope you got a yeah. really big, thick, heavy jacket, Andy. <laughs> Honestly. As long as we keep winning, I'll wear anything. <laughs> <laughs> he is Andy Borman, Memphis Tigers assistant basketball coach. You can catch him every Wednesday during the Tiger basketball season. Talking with us here on Sports 56 Mornings. Follow him on Twitter at Andy underscore Borman. I'll see you tonight over at the uh, arena. Thank you so much, Andy. Looking forward to it. Appreciate it. All right. From Tigers basketball, we turn our attention to college basketball in general, but specifically we'll talk a little bit about the Tigers and where does Jerry Palm and his latest bracketology have the Tigers seated in the NCAA tournament, which is still a ways away. Plus, we'll get Jerry's thoughts on the wrap-up of the college football season and Michigan's convincing win over Washington. That'll be coming up next. If you're not headed down to the Tigers game, uh, you want to watch the game anytime. Any Tigers or Grizzlies game on. Of course, the NFL playoffs coming up uh, starting this weekend. All of that action is always on at East Coast Wings and Grill. You can watch the games on uh, all the great TVs there while enjoying great food and great drinks and just great atmosphere with great people to hang out with and have a good time. East Coast Wings and Grill located just off Highway 64 between Lowe's and Walmart on Kate Hyde Boulevard. Monday through Friday from 3.30 until 6.30. Well, that is happy hour with two for one on the draft beers, bucket specials, and much, much more. Mondays they've got their 75 cent boneless wings all day. Wednesdays like today kids 12 and under eat for just $1.99 from 3.30 until close. You can find it all at East Coast Wings and Grill. The wings, 60 different flavors to choose from. Seven different heat index as available as well. Their juicy Angus burgers, their flatbreads, other sandwiches, salads, so much to choose from, all great on that menu over at East Coast Wings and Grill. You can get it delivered via DoorDash if you want to watch the game at home but still enjoy some of that great food. You can order online, eastcoastwings.com and go pick it up yourself. East Coast Wings, again, just off Highway 64 between Lowe's and Walmart. You're tuned in to Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Be sure to follow us at Sports56WHBQ on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube to watch live video of our shows, stay up to date with station events, and have chances to win prizes. Don't miss out on anything that's going on. Follow us at Sports56WHBQ. Now back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by James Gaddis Jewelers. Diamonds are forever! Woo! Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Welcome back, everyone. 827 is the time. The hits just keep on coming. Time for Jerry Palm. 
It's time for Sports 56 Mornings Weekly Chat with Jerry Palm, college football and basketball writer and bracketologist for CBSSports.com. Here are Greg, Eli, and Jerry. He is Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at JPPalmCBS. Catch him every Wednesday during both the college football and basketball seasons. And the football season finally put to bed. Hey, JP, how are you? All right, how are you? I'm doing good. We've got a lot of college basketball to talk about, but we start with the wrap-up of the college football season, the natty on Monday night. Um, Beings that I picked Washington, I was not happy with the result, but I was wary of, and everybody I think was, that that Michigan front on their defense could dominate the Washington front, and that's a good Washington offensive line, and make it uh, hell for Michael Penix Jr., and apparently that was a big part of it, plus Michigan's running game. And, you know, whether you like it or not, whether uh, you feel they belonged, uh, of course, Eli says that they shouldn't even been in the playoff. They're the national champions, and Michigan won convincingly. What were your thoughts of the Natty on Monday? Yeah, well, when we talked about it last week, I'm pretty sure I told you that uh, I thought the, it, a big part of this would come down to whether or not Washington, the award-winning offensive line. Yeah would be able to hold off the Michigan front seven. And that's pretty much the case. You know, they just couldn't. Washington's offense never got comfortable. Fenix took a lot of hits. It was just a tough day for the Washington offense. And it's, you know, down to the Michigan defense just playing, you know, at the level that they played at all year. Uh, a lot of people kind of dismissed it because it was the Big Ten and there's a lot of mediocre teams in the Big Ten. But, you know, they... They played. They were the most efficient defense in the country pretty much all year, and uh, they were really efficient again against Washington. And you know the Michigan offense also did well, but it was pretty hard. Um, you know they got those two touchdowns from uh, uh, Edwards in, in the first quarter. I think it was still the first yes. quarter for yes, both it was. of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you know, those. I mean, that really puts Washington behind the the eight ball offensively, you know, you're, you're playing catch up and especially against that defense. Uh, that's really hard to do. Yeah. It's, it's hard to play catch because of that defense. It's hard to play catch up against that offense. I think Michigan gets the lead. They can just lean on their running game. Yep. They can lean on that offensive line. Their offensive line is incredible. And again, that's, that's without well, their best they offensive won, line. They won the Joe Moore award last year. And a lot of those guys were back. So, you know, now I didn't have Zinter uh, yeah. who was hurt, but you know, that, yeah, that's, that's a, when you can run the ball like that and play defense like that, man, that's a, that's a great formula for success. Because I, like I, I still, I don't see it in JJ McCarthy. Like I, I don't understand why he's ranked as where he is on some professional like the the, the draft board stuff like that. Like, I don't either. So if you could get McCarthy. in front of them and make him throw it, I don't think they can beat you. But if they get in front of you and they can just run it down your throats with that offensive line, they are really tough to beat. Are you talking about Penix? No, McCarthy. Oh, McCarthy. Oh, McCarthy. Yeah, um, yeah, he didn't. He doesn't get a lot of um, a, a lot of love, I think, on the draft board. You know, the NFL guys are looking for different things than he's rated number six no, quarterback. No, he's by he's yeah. rated way too high. Yeah, he's getting too much. I don't love, see yeah. it. I just don't see. He's got a great arm, but it's not to me. He's not accurate. I don't. I don't see it with him. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, like I said, NFL guys are looking at different stuff. Sure. Um, you know, college performance obviously is not nothing, um, but you, you'll see guys, you know, get drafted on just on talent, thinking that they can. Like Anthony Richardson was a mediocre 
mm-hmm. Florida quarterback, but mediocre by SEC standards, mm-hmm. you know, and yet he's like the fifth pick in the draft. So you, you, now J.J. McCarthy is not that kind of a freakish athlete or anything, but um, he's a pretty successful quarterback, and there's a lot to be said for being a successful quarterback. So how impactful, especially going to a 12-team playoff where there's more spots, obviously, for teams to make it into the postseason? Like a Florida State, for example. Well, yeah, exactly. But I'm I'm talking about and referring to the teams that are coming to your conference, the Big Ten, from the Pac-12. How impactful do you think it will be getting Oregon, Washington, USC, and UCLA? And how much of a difference maker will those four be in, like, immediately in yeah, that conference? But I, they are. I mean, those are, at least three of them will be top half of the league team. Uh, you know, it's now an 18-team league. But, you know, those are, you know, especially... You know, I think Washington, Oregon, USC could be positioned, you know, at times to compete for conference championships. And so, you know, the Big Ten for, you know, uh, a few years now at least has been, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, and a big gap to everyone else. And sometimes Wisconsin is in there too. Um, but it's, you know, that gap is filled. You know, Washington, Oregon, USC at, the, at a minimum are going to fill that gap uh, and make it harder on everybody else, you know, in the big, you know, the, the uh, old Big Ten, you know, the the schools are welcoming them to compete at the top of the league. How many on a yearly basis? What do you think the expectation is from the Big Ten of how many teams they'll put in the playoff? So there's going to be um, five conference champions. They haven't made that official yet, but it's going to be five yeah. plus seven, right? So uh, of the seven um, at large teams. I, I am willing to bet that most years six of them will come from the SEC and the Big Ten. That's what I I, I believe that as well. And that's, it might be seven. Yeah. I, you know, it just it's you know you you might have a year where it's where it's someone else, but I think six of those seven are coming from the SEC and the Big Ten. Yeah. Like, I think both of those conferences will be like they'll be yeah. disappointed if they don't get four teams in. Yeah, uh, and they get both. And they can't both get. Yeah, but oh, well, yeah. they could both get four teams in, counting their champion. Yeah, yeah, they but could that, both that's, get, that's I think yeah. their thought. They go in thinking like they probably we should get four teams in every year. Well, it'll depend on yeah. how many. What's the max amount of losses? You know, can you see a well, team with three? Th- yeah, right, I was going to say three. Right, that's the max. Yeah. You're not going to have a four loss team. But what's interesting with the Big Ten, as you just talked about, with the addition of these other schools, I mean, I don't think Michigan State's going to be as bad as they were in coming years with Jonathan, Jonathan Smith. And very quietly, I don't know if people are paying attention to Matt Rule at Nebraska, who he's bringing in over there. They're eventually going to be good. I don't know if they could ever be what they were under the doctor, but my gosh, I think he's building something over there at Nebraska. It'll take it'll take time, but I think he's the right guy for the job. So the Big Ten all of a sudden is going to be, for, like you said, Ohio State, Michigan, maybe Penn State, most of the time Penn State. I think they were overvalued this year. And then everybody else, well, now there's going to be a lot of teams in the mix. Yeah. All right, yeah. let's – Turn our attention to basketball. Your latest bracketology came out on Friday. You had the University of Memphis as a three seed. Uh, Since you put that out, there have been a number of ranked teams that have lost, including yesterday your Purdue Boilermakers, the number one team, and the number two Houston Cougars are knocked from the realm of the unbeaten. So there's no more unbeaten teams, but uh, a little chaotic over the last few days as far as that's concerned. But your brackets... Uh, which will come out weekly, Friday. right? It'll be weekly until when? 
this is Friday and Monday until late in the season when it becomes daily. Okay, so know, it, right is fri- it is Friday time. and Monday. Yeah, we skipped this Monday because of the national championship because nobody's talking about basketball. Gotcha. But, um, but yeah, Fridays and Mondays from now until um, late in the season, conference tournament time. Okay. It'll move to daily. So the one on Friday, you had Houston as a one, UConn as a one, Kansas as a one, Purdue as a one. And again, Purdue and and uh, Houston have lost. I mean, it, I don't think there's a clear consensus as who, who this best the best team is. I think this is going to no. be a free-for-all this year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it'll be about matchups once you get to the tournament. Um, you know, I always say that you don't really know anything about a team until they start playing conference road games. <laughs> and, you know, Purdue's now 1-2 and two on the road. Uh, lost at Nebraska and Northwestern, where Purdue, as a Purdue fan, I know this, historically plays like crap in those buildings, even yeah, when they win. They lost last year so, to them as well. Yeah, you know, and, it's, and it, it's funny because, like, Purdue plays – they have no trouble going to Indiana or Illinois or Michigan State and playing well. I'm, you know, pretty much, you know, you're always winning those buildings, but you're you're competitive and you play well. And Nebraska and Northwestern, for some reason, Purdue just is a no show in both of those places, uh, even even when they win. Um, but you know, and in Houston, welcome to the Big Twelve. Your first road yep. game mm-hmm. is at Hilton. At Iowa State, which is the second toughest place to play on the road in that league behind Kansas. And I'm, of course, excluding Houston because they won't play at Houston as a road team. So, um, you know, and then, you know, they could beat pretty competitive game, a game in the 50s, which makes sense because those are two of the best defensive teams in the country. Um, so, yeah, I, there's no dominant team in college basketball. And while Purdue has been number one in the polls for most of the season, they have not been the dominant team. There is no dominant team in college basketball. We're going to have uh, pretty much a free-for-all when the NCAA tournament starts. It'll be about matchups, and you'll have at least eight teams that are all talented enough and experienced enough and well-coached enough to win the NCAA tournament. Which is just the way of college basketball. I mean, the same thing last year. Yeah, it, it yeah just it was like that last year. I mean, I think last year we had four number one seeds that all had, like, five losses, yeah, right? Yeah. So if I'm not mistaken, at least... And, that, I don't think it ever happened before. Uh, that could happen again this year. The, you know, it's just, it's, yeah, it's just nobody is that much better than everyone else. Um, and, you know, we'll find out, you know, about how good some of these really good teams are when they go into these hostile environments and have to show up and play. You mentioned Kansas, the toughest place to play in the Big 12. They got – TCU got robbed last Saturday. The flagrant oh, yeah, foul indeed. call they had at the end of that yeah. was terrible. Yeah, that was ridiculous. You know, but, well, you know, officiating is just not real good. I mean, I was at the Purdue-Illinois game, and that was a disaster of officiating. And it affects both teams because, you know, bad calls are mm. not ever as one-sided as fans think they are. Yeah. But at the end of the game, when Illinois is trying to make a comeback at Purdue, they they – Go to the monitor after the ball goes out. There's a big collision with Lance Jones, I forget which player from Illinois, and they go back to the monitor ostensibly to review an out-of-bounds play. You know, that right after that, the ball's knocked out of bounds, and they go to the monitor, and everybody thinks they're reviewing out-of-bounds, and they come out of that with a flagrant foul on Lance Jones. That wasn't really one of the things that they could have come out of there with. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> so so that's, so you've got that call. They go to Illinois, goes to the line, and hits two free throws. They get within three. They get the ball out of bounds, and Coleman Hawkins has it in the corner, and he's being guarded, and he's trying to plan a move and make a move, and then he makes his move, and they call traveling when he absolutely didn't travel. <laughs> it's just 
you know, but the, the, that, you know, it was a horribly officiated game. So you, if you're counting on the officials to get things right, you're probably going to be disappointed. That's just college basketball. The, the refs are generally pretty good. You know, you don't get a ton of those kinds of mistakes like, you, like in that game. You don't get a lot of that. Um, you know, the, the refs are generally pretty good, but you're still – they're wild cards in these games. You don't know what you're going to get on any given night. Whatever crew's going to happen, you have to adjust to the refs, and sometimes that's hard to do. The thing with the Kansas one, the drive, it it encourages guys to embellish it because if Dickinson doesn't go falling to the ground and everything else, they don't even stop yeah. play. They, it just yeah. plays on. Instead, they stop, yeah. and now they're like, oh, well, you know, let's go check out, see what happened. And they come out with a flagrant foul that decides the game. And it's yeah. and that's that drives me crazy thing. about it. Red, that was a pretty obvious embellishment, and it should be obvious to the rest as well. It's like you know what he just he just put he just that's a soccer flop. Yeah. We should not be rewarding soccer. Wasn't flops that a point of emphasis? Was it last season or this yeah. season? The flop. I don't know. Well, they could call flops. I mean, you could look right. Call that's flops. What, but I mean, I think it was the point yeah. of emphasis. But they don't Maybe have to call flops. Season. They could just say yeah. that's a. They could just well, say you know no they, call. They didn't call it's, a foul. Right. Right. They didn't call fouls. Right. No, they, they they stopped it as as, See who as went, TC went was bringing the ball down the court, and he's laying there on the ground because Jamie Dixon was mad they even stopped play. They're like, wait, you don't just because their guys hurt, we've got a break going here. Like you don't stop. Yeah. They, they stop play, and then the, because he was hurt, like ah, oh, let's go look at it. And again, the, oh, that's the, why they the, stopped the whole flagrant it? foul thing. I don't like it too. Oh. Just yeah. because yeah. there's contact with a guy's head. Doesn't mean it has to be a flagrant foul. Like there are accidental things that happen in a basketball game where a guy might get hit in the face a little bit. Like that doesn't become a that doesn't have to be a flagrant foul, right? Yeah, yeah, inadvertent. Yeah, yeah. no question about. It. Uh, by the way, but you're right. They should not have stopped playing. I yeah, I would. I mean, like, so Jamie Dixon goes from he's got the ball and with a two point lead. I think it was, I can't remember if it was two or three at that time. Yeah. They stop play because a guy, a Kansas guy, is down hurt. It turns into. Not only do we no longer have the ball on the break, we now have them shooting two free throws and getting the basketball because yeah. that guy went down and he's now yeah. up fine to shoot the free throws, but was down yeah. on the ground writhing in pain. So you guys yeah. go look at it and turn it into yeah, a flagrant foul on us. I think the I think the you know, if we stop play because you're injured, you have to come out of the game. That yes. should be the rule. If we stop play, if the refs stop play because of a player being injured, that player has to come out of the game. I mean if, if he doesn't go to the ground they just play on and nothing ever so happens. It yep. said because he goes to the ground, and I I firmly think it was completely embellishing it, now he gets a flagrant foul. It completely changed the game. TC, yep. I believe TCU wins that game without that call. Well, I didn't see the well, game. I'm certainly learning, I'm, they have a much better chance because they have the ball in the lead versus you know, eventually getting well, they the would ball have back. The, back the, the next time down. they touched the ball, they were now trailing. Instead yeah. of having yeah. the ball up by two or whatever, they now got yeah. the ball down yeah. by two. Plus an advantage yeah. of being five on four with the player down. See, I didn't watch the game. I was listening to what you were saying, describing it, Eli. I thought you said, and I don't know why I thought you said this, that the ball went out of bounds, and that's why they looked at the monitor and then saw a flagrant foul. Which no, that's was what f- Jerry was talking about. Oh, okay, okay. And then they saw uh, what they thought was, a, well, what they called was a flagrant, but was a phantom. Yeah, I don't think they should do that, but obviously in this day and age, especially football, but even with basketball, it's all about the safety of players. Pro level, collegiate level, a guy's down, they're blowing the whistle. Yep, it, fine. It, right? then, but, but then he has to, for me, he has to leave the game. If we stop... If we stop play because of an injured player, that player has to come out of the game. Okay. Uh, by the way, if you check out Jerry's latest from Friday, he has Tennessee as a two. 
He's got yep. Ole Miss as a six, by the way, after they lost to Tennessee in their SEC opener. One team that's interesting, and again, this is so early in the ball game, but we're starting to already talk about the last four ins, the first four outs, and that kind of jazz. Seton Hall, right? They're 73 yep. net on Friday when you put this together and you had them first four out and they were the fourth team out. They're 11 and five. But man, yep. they are kicking some tail. In the yeah. Big East, they're the only undefeated team remaining in the yeah, Big East. Yeah, and they've, they've got a couple of good wins at home. Yeah, they do. Um, but they've struggled in non-conference play, and that's most of your resume right now. It still is non-conference play. Right. So You can make up a lot um, for it, though, in the Big East. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, Seton Hall, Northwestern, who just beat Michigan. You know, they beat Purdue earlier, beat Michigan State on Sunday. Um, and then now Nebraska – uh, gets a home win over Purdue. In fact, they, they've been really good on their home floor. So for these teams, you know, eventually, we'll, we'll let's see what you do away from home. You right, know, once, right. you, once you get into your conference road games, I mean, that's where that's where you really find out about teams. It's the great teams, the bubble teams. You know, what's going to end up separating these teams is what can you do away from home. I think because you're right the on. tournament is not played at home. <laughs> yeah, it, separ- right. it separates you, the men from the boys. No question about it. You mentioned that, Bishop. Tom Izzo is entering curmudgeon status where I feel like he is really close to being done with the current state of college basketball. Curmudgeon status. Yeah, I, uh, I was there at that game um, and uh, was surprised. To see, by the way, Nebraska, that has to be one of the best games they've ever played because they didn't turn the ball over. They shot really well. They rebounded well. They had a 21-2 to advantage on points off of turnovers. I mean, it was it – was, that was peak Northwestern basketball. Uh, they, I didn't see the Purdue game because I know better than to watch Purdue when they play at Northwestern. But I can't imagine Northwestern playing ever any better than they played against Michigan State. I know we're just and, okay. Yeah, Michigan State though was flat, and you could tell that you've got a bunch. That's a veteran team. I mean, they got a lot of notoriety for their freshman class, but he plays mostly his veteran guys, right? And they they were. Boy, was he mad <laughs> at the press conference. I thought he was... <laughs> he's, he's like trying to choose his words. Well, you can't blame the players anymore. You, you can't blame the players anymore, which was his way of blaming the players. He, um, he is, he's, it, it, I think this could very well be the last year. Like he is, He's entering that Jim Bayheim, like, just gonna say, it's, it's Bayheim, like I hate everything about the current state oh, of basketball situation. Yeah. He's 71, I think. So, you know, he's not much longer for it regardless because of his age, he's not going to coach forever. But but, uh, but you way, know that's that's a program that, that in Purdue, mm-hmm. two coaches are for, for for like forty plus years. Yeah, it's incredible. You know, isn't it? two, two coaches total for forty plus. Kind of like the Steelers yeah. with their head coaches. Yeah. By, by, by yeah. the way, um, I know we're out of time, but Jeff Goodman tweeted this out the other day. I thought this was interesting, and and I, I couldn't come up with somebody that would replace him. But he put his his current Mount Rushmore coaches. So they may not be having like the greatest year. They may, but it's just. The four big names that are still coaching right now, he had Bill Self, Tom Izzo, John Calipari, Rick Pitino. Is there anybody else that you would could throw in there that would even ch- – those four? I mean, Mark Few maybe, but I, I don't think he compares to those four. No. Anybody um, else? No. Those no. guys. I, I mean – I think it's those four, right? Especially if, you, you know, if you're going to consider – you know, you're going to measure everything on postseason success, which all four of those guys – those are the four guys with the most postseason success. Um, uh, in college basketball, guys like Few and Painter um, are all are thought of as you know 
really good coaches in college basketball and among their peers, but don't have the postseason success that those four guys do. Right, and the last regime is gone. You know, Williams, Kay, Coach Kay, yeah, Bayheim, yeah, they're all yeah, done. Bayheim. All yeah. right. He is Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, cbsports.com. So he'll have his new bracketology coming out this Friday. Check it out. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at JPPalmCBS. Catch him every Wednesday talking with us right here on Sports 56 Mornings. Thank you, Jerry. All right, thanks. Have a great week. We will take a timeout, come back, and we will go back to the NBA from last night, but not the Grizzlies win in Dallas, which was impressive. We will go back to a game between the Lakers and Toronto and tell you why that's significant. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. We are Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 WHBQ. Available on your radio dial at 560 AM and 98.5 FM, as well as around the world online at sports56whbq.com. Take us with you everywhere by downloading the Sports 56 app. And at home, just say, Alexa, play Sports 56. Wherever you are, stay tuned in to Real Sports Talk. Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now, back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by James Gaddis Jewelers. Don't you just love it? Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Tomorrow on the program, among our guests, Dane Bradshaw will join us, the former Tennessee Vol, White Station High School standout, who's been a... SEC analyst, basketball analyst for years and years. We'll talk to him about the SEC season. Dane Bradshaw tomorrow at 825. So last night out in Los Angeles, the Lakers edged the Raptors 132 to 131. But the story was what happened afterwards as Darko Ryakovich, the head coach of the Toronto Raptors, former Memphis Tigers lead assistant coach, went ballistic on the officials and about the officials as the free throw discrepancy in the fourth quarter was 23 to 2 in favor of the Lakers. Lakers shot 23 free throws, the Raptors shot two. LeBron James commenting about the free throw discrepancy said, "Um, I feel like they fouled and we didn't." Well, Darko did not feel the same. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Doug. That's 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 outrageous. What happened tonight? This is completely BS. This is shame, shame for the referees, shame for the league to allow this. Twenty-three free throws for them, and we get two free throws in in a fourth quarter. Like how to play the game? I all, I understand uh, respect for all stars and all that, but we have star players on our team as well. How's possible, as Scotty Barnes? who is all-star caliber player in this league, he goes every single time to the rim with force and trying to get, get uh, to, the, to the rim without flopping and, and not trying to get foul calls. He gets two uh, free throws for the whole game. How is that possible? How are you going to explain that, that to me? They had to win tonight? If that's, if that's the case, just let us know so we don't show up for the game. Just give them a win. But that, that was not fair tonight. And this is not happening first time for us. Scotty Barnes is going to be all-star. He's going to be the face of this league. And what, what's happening over here during whole season, I've been holding you back. It's a complete crap. Coach, do you feel like that's, you're uh, that's any a, explanations at all? That's good. 
That's good. offensive foul. Did you so Darko, uh, obviously going off, he will be fined handsomely by the NBA. But my gosh, I'm glad that, that he said that. Um, even though he did say, I understand the, the star treatment. I, I've never understood the star treatment when it comes to that. But he's basically saying, yeah, the officials gave the Lakers, because of who they are and who's on that team, the win. We're Toronto. We're in the shadows. We got a guy who should be getting the respect that doesn't get the respect. They gave them the win. And, of course, I mentioned LeBron's comments were, um, this is exactly what he said, um, uh, they fouled and we didn't. Come on. I didn't watch the game, so I really can't comment. I didn't watch the game at all. I will tell you this from an officiating perspective. There is nothing more annoying and nothing that makes fans sound dumber than when you say, they got eight fouls. We got eight fouls. They got one. There are games. Here's a little news flash. There are games. There are games. A lot of them where one team fouls a lot more than the other does. So the fouls aren't going to be even at all times. And when your whole thing of yelling at an official is they've got we've got way more fouls than they do, that sound you sound dumb. Stop doing it. Okay, that's a fan. This is the head coach of the Raptors. Do we not believe him? I, I didn't watch the game. I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, that's a big free throw discrepancy. Do I think Toronto probably got fouled more than that? I'm sure they probably did. I want to give the NBA. The there's a of lot the of contact on an NBA court, sure. so I'm assuming they probably did get fouled more than they and should have deserved more than two free throws. I, I, I didn't watch a second of the game. I hear what you're saying about some fans. Yes, obviously they're going to be in the corner of their team, and when the foul discrepancy is that bad, they're going to complain. And sometimes there are games where, yes, you can understand the discrepancy. Sometimes it's because you're fouling late in the game to get the team on the free-throw line, hoping they'll miss, try to slow down the game. I understand all that. But when a head coach goes off like he did, and I... I don't know him, even though he was here in Memphis. I never talked to him. I never interviewed him. But highly regarded, highly respected, seemed like very, very mild-mannered. I, I don't know, maybe as a fuse. But, man, they lit his fuse last night. And I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that even though he was frustrated and they ended up losing a game they led and they lost by one point, that there probably shouldn't have been a discrepancy that wide. Again, I didn't see the game, so I can't be for sure. But I bet if I go back there, I, there would be plays that I go, yeah, Scotty Barnes or somebody else got hacked there, and they didn't call it. I've always had a problem with the star treatment, the stars getting the benefit of the doubt as far as that's concerned. Also, the makeup calls, the phantom calls, the makeup calls, the star calls in the NBA. All right, that'll do it for the second hour of the program. When we come back, hour number three, speaking of the NBA, we'll talk Grizzlies with DeMichael Cole again last night. Somehow, someway, they beat the Mavs 120-103 to without Jaron Jackson Jr., without John Morant, without Santi Aldama, and you know all the rest who are out. And then Marcus Smart dislocating his finger. We'll find out hopefully a little bit more about that injury with the Michael Cole. Then at 940, NFL Hall of Fame wide receiver Steve Largent will join us. You're tuned in to Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM.